Um, I just want to give a time out here. Like it, I just want, um, you're being a bit too safe and I, I can, I can feel that energy. So, um, you you like to just kind of stay on the, an equal playing field. So I just want you to kind of get more personal if you can, like, instead of sharing like video, like movie references, like share a personal reference, like, oh, this one kid at school did this, you know, like, like, give me a real story like anecdotal if you can you know what I mean yeah I think I gave example when I said like my friend Brian was like that with his mom and so forth I talked about my father I think I talked about abuse and violence I think I've been pretty personal yeah kind right? of said there was kind violence of. in my home that's pretty personal there it, it was yeah I mean I'm not I'm not say, like I'm going to use some of this stuff but I'm just saying like can we can we just get a little bit more can I ask you a question Sure. Do you find that if you ask, I'm assuming a blunt question like that, I'm, I'm not sure how you phrase it is what I'm getting at. Do you find that men look intimidated? Do, do, do men feel, do they act defensive or do they just kind of like, bah, 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 I don't know, don't know what to say to your question. Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. If you've been following this podcast, it's been nearly three months and I've dropped 25 interviews of the 100 Masked Men series, where I anonymously interview men from all around the world about how their sexuality affects their self-worth and how media and pop culture has shaped the gender roles we play in. And in today's episode, I'm going to share all the things I've learned so far in this journey in better understanding how we interact with the opposite sex. So full transparency here. This was my first time podcasting and I didn't have the best equipment and I also had no idea what type of men I was going to interview if anyone even wanted to. So I chose friends, ex-friends, friends of friends, and sometimes total complete strangers. But practice makes perfect, right? During this time, I've been getting really curious about linguistics and gender, how men talk to other men and how women talk to other women. And this is where things break down. We literally don't know how to speak to each other. And so we might not even speak at all. I learned that there was a pecking order with men. Who's the lead and who follows? There's a winner, there's a loser, there are games, there are rules, and there's a fuck ton of strategy. For girls, it's about establishing relationships and intimacy. We don't play sports or indulge in friendly competition with each other. We play house, we share stories, we play roles, not responsibilities. And back in the day, men enjoyed women because they knew who was the boss, and women didn't know better, so they obliged through the subordinate role. Now, in 2021, everything has shifted, and one thing's for sure, we're all just really fucking confused. When I first started this podcast, I expected some friendly debate. I was a woman scorned, and I had questions. I wanted answers. And I hope that some of these men would speak on behalf of some other ghosted guys in my past and tell me what I always wanted to hear. That they were wrong, that I was right, and that my feelings are valid, and they're so, so sorry for undervaluing my worth. I wanted to restore my hope in men. I wanted to give them a chance to get involved in women's issues. I wanted them to openly and honestly talk about their feelings, why they do what they do, and what their thought processes were. And I had a lot of fucking expectations. Reality check. I was looking for hope in all the wrong places. I began this series with a desire to ask for more intentionality when we engage in relationships. I started off with this idea of putting whatever intentions you had on the table, whether it's sex, a relationship, work, whatever. When it's on the table, 
then the other person now has the power to say yes or no, or I'm not sure, can you elaborate? Rather than letting things progress naturally, going with the flow, allowing our instinct to run wild and free and imagine all sorts of ideas in our heads, I wanted verbal alignment that we were all on the same page. I believe that you know what you want already. And I wanted you to explain that ASAP now. <laughs> and I got a lot of pushback. 100% no, you're totally right. And like, so you are definitely challenging how I would approach that conversation because I would never think of putting it that way. I don't know if I'm the best guy to answer this because um, I, I think it's still something that I'm working on in terms of being able to be assertive with people. And it's not because I want to be manipulative in any way and just be like, well, if I don't have the conversation, I can just get whatever I want until we have the conversation. That's never my thing. In fact, it's, it's sort of the opposite. I feel like empathetic. And if it was something that I felt could let the person down, I try and avoid letdowns and I try and avoid like making feel people feel unhappy. I just do. Unfortunately though, that's not how it plays out. If you're not being like open and honest and like nipping some of that stuff in the bud, because like, Eventually, it's just going to be more unhappy. It's going to be more disappointed in you and feel like they had gone down a road that you, they thought they were on that maybe you didn't think you were on. Then you probably have the opportunity to like let them know. It's fear, I think. I think that those situations could potentially be a really shy guy that is afraid to straight up ask you to get into bed with him. A guy doesn't want to come across as like, a pig like in me like i think that they just don't want to be like like oh she's gonna think that i'm like an asshole she's gonna think that i'm disrespectful and that i'm just looking at her like she's an object and uh and so i'm not gonna say anything about sex at all in fear that she's gonna judge him for it and and, he, and they're just gonna be like oh i'm just gonna wait to see maybe she like you know i i need to see signs that she wants to do this with me or that she likes me it's kind of fucked up. I think at this point, the advice that I'm taking is just being open and transparent and having, not having that conversation, not having it on the table every single day, but at least having, you know, the com conversation in incremental steps, like, you know, that so both people are on the same page. Usually it's a lot about reading, reading the woman is what I have learned to do and also appreciate because I don't want to feel like I am making the first move to be honest and i don't know if that's like a masculine thing or uh, a feminine thing but it's i really want to know that she wants this otherwise it, it, it the whole purpose and the whole intention and my satisfaction will be dulled because it's like me me controlling that situation so i think a lot of it is also fear of rejection yes. off of the opening line Absolutely. right if she can get to know my personality then I can close this deal. But yes. if I just walk up and said, hello, I think you look beautiful tonight. I would love to have a sexual relationship with you. What do you think? Well, then you're right. She's got the power. And it's like, and once she closes that door, you know, if they say no, mm -hmm. you're like, well, have a good night. Okay, I get it. It takes a lot of courage to come up to someone and talk to them. And the fear of rejection is huge. But I think there's more behind that. Like, we want that acceptance, that approval from her, that she's leaning in, that she's showing interest. But I feel like that's dangerous because then you're not taking responsibility for what you actually want. 
you're letting the other person decide what you will receive. And I think that's wild because I didn't realize how much power we had as women. And speaking of power, let's talk about that. And I'll say that, like, honestly, as a man, you feel threatened when you see a woman become aware of her power and accept that power because it then means you're, you know, the things that you've been told that you can do to manipulate, to keep women with you, things like that won't work anymore. And then as a man, you're like, damn, okay, so the two things I've been taught to give, yeah. dick and money, don't <laughs> work anymore, right? Like, I, these, I can't just use this to control women anymore. And you're like, okay, now I have to think about how I show up in this world differently. Also, men don't know how to deal with the roles being reversed because if you look at 99% of times with women, how do men and women's interactions go? And when that role gets reversed, if a man is not very confident in himself, it's he's going to fall apart real fast because he's never, he's never been approached. Like in general, any woman who approaches a man and says, Oh, I think you're, you're, you're really attractive. I'd like to go on a date with you. Men are just not going to know how to respond to that. Like they have no words prepared in their dictionary because they're like, this has never happened before. But I think sometimes guys, because of our mindset and our ego, when we have a pretty girl talking to us and we're connecting with them and we talk, we think it's becoming something. And we, and we can't tell the difference sometimes. Not because of women, like you guys aren't giving me messages. Blah, 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 blah. It's really just like, we just don't know. And sometimes men feel obligated because they just don't know. What's, uh, what's wrong with asking? Do you ever That's ask? what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, is yeah. it? Is it like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think it was most looking back, like, I should ask like, hey, um, I, I had to go through that experience first. To be quite honest with you, Amanda, like I, I, I had to go through it because it was the first time I wouldn't know what to do. It's funny because, uh, yeah, I don't find women ever question their talent so much as they question their looks, which is a shame. Hmm. Um, because they're so highly criticized for their look. So they always feel like there's something that needs approving upon on, the, on their physical appearance. Um, I don't get that from male models as much. <laughs> male models tend to think that they look great and they, if anything, they just have a fear of losing it. But, um, at this, but they think that they look great as they are in this moment. And I think for men, there's less value in looks. There's more value in power. Like, be a great athlete and you'll have whatever you want. But for women, it's like, be beautiful and you'll have whatever you want. If, if you've only attracted this type of personality, that, to me, doesn't solidify your identity as a potential spouse to somebody else. Maybe it's something that is out there in the universe that's at play and it's kind of projecting out there. And so it's an opportunity to kind of take stock of who you are and, and remind yourself like, no, I'm, I'm not that person. In this first season, I realized image issues was a core theme when it came to the expectations we had from our society, that we had to only desire one look to be acceptable. That one type of body is the attractable, desired body to both be and to want. In today's world, with dating apps being one of the only ways to connect with new people and social media being the main way to communicate and network, 
our society is way more focused on looks and appearances than ever before. So here are some thoughts that I've heard from the men that I've interviewed so far. I feel like so much of that is societal because like throughout history, like body sizes have fluctuated in terms of like what people consider attractive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like these guys, if no one else was watching and they were left alone with this, these, these girls that maybe they would, they would like them. They would actually find them like sexually attractive and like their personality and like the fact that they have more of a curvaceous figure. But I think it's almost like, uh, you know, they're looking for that um, trophy wife, right? So she has to fit the mold. Before they can insult anyone, I'll start it. You know, I'll, I'll give them some education already. But it, it is an education that I provided to everyone as well for, for women, for straight men. Because just a few seconds ago about you don't depict me as gay. Yeah. Uh, what would be your description of a gay person? It is someone who is flamboyant. Is it someone that that it have like color that wears colorful clothes? Is it someone that wears women's clothes, tight fitting? No, because you can't. It's really hard to define a gay person based on how they look. Another reason why everybody's attracted to like a um, muscular Hollywood type who probably is 40 years old, but he could pass as 27, you know, like they're men where it's just like, if you, if you're attracted to like a skinny boyish type and just like, there's like, there's something kind of pedophilic about that. There's been a stigma that like a lot of people in, in the mainstream straight world think that like all homosexuals are pedophiles. So basically like in order to sort of like destroy that stereotype, like I'm going to have to go for like a 30 year old muscular dude. I would say there's a common like, type like obviously thin is always in so like if you're a girl like if you you have a big butt and you're you're thin and you've got like a nice shape regardless of what style you're doing you're gonna get noticed pretty people get noticed it's pretty pretty privileged i hardly ever see male dancers that don't have like the ideal body shape so you think it's more open for women to be of different shapes and sizes but not for men like men have to be the chiseled version absolutely but you know what if that's men's, you know, cross the bear, that's men's cross the bear. Women have, women have it hard enough, you know, like, good. I'm glad women are getting light. And you know what, if, if it's going to take men a couple, uh, a couple years longer, it should take us hundreds of years longer because of what women have to deal with on a regular basis, especially in the entertainment business. So, so, so impressionable at that age. And yeah. a lot of the girls think, you know, if I can get skinny enough, I will be the next K Moss not realizing that there will only ever be one K-Moss. That's such a rare occurrence. Like it's not worth it if you're not having fun. Being a model is like, it's a lottery. You never know if you'll make it. It has nothing to do with you ultimately. It's how the world perceives you. Speaking of unusual topics or just unexpected topics, although we didn't talk as much about masturbation and sex toys as I expected, one topic did come up quite often, porn how it was created for men. And as much as we don't want to admit it, that idea that porn was made for men by men made me think, does that mean sex was made for men too? I mean, besides the violent and disrespectful aspects of how porn is depicted, I think this bleeds into how some men might even treat women. And not just that, but like even women are contributing to this idea of fulfilling those fantasies. 
I know I was guilty of that, being that sexy vixen that was expected of me because I wanted that approval from men to be desired. And I used to think that was empowering. But how much are we being controlled by someone else's script and then thinking that we are the one that's actually in control when we're not? Porn forever has been all about guys fucking girls. It's never girls fucking guys. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Descriptions of like these porn, it's, it's always like luckiest guy in the world. But it's never like luckiest girl in the world when she's getting fucked by like six guys or whatever. Mm. Like the woman female's orgasms always lost. It's never talked about. It's always about the dude. Back to men being raised on porn. It could be for them like fulfilling that category in their premium Pornhub account or something like that. Like it could just be wanting to fulfill this one fantasy and they feel like they can come up to you and, and tell you that that's, oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry for that. That sucks. As we close off this chapter, I learned that courage and vulnerability best comes out when I express those characteristics myself. I didn't expect to bring up rape and consent as much as I did in these conversations. And I didn't expect not to bring up masturbation or sex toys as little as I did. I guess we all just had so many feelings we needed to get out first. I learned that when it comes to the conversation of consent and rape, those that speak about it openly and honestly are usually those that have already had experience with it and have practiced speaking about it already. It took me until this show to openly share my own story, and in return, I got to hear about so many variations of this topic, showing how little information and awareness there really is, even now, in 2021. To have a man tell me he was also scared for his life, to have another say that he wasn't because he didn't feel physically threatened, but those feelings of being uncomfortable and wanting to leave was always constant. And with so many competing thoughts and feelings, how can we honestly trust our intuition when there is so much that is left unsaid? Um, I was seeing someone who, unbeknownst to me, when we first started seeing each other, had a drinking problem. And so one time I was over at his house and he'd been drinking quite excessively. And immediately upon entering, I felt uncomfortable. I thought, okay, I, I don't want to be here right now. I would like to leave. And so he said, no, everything's fine. You know, I'm just relaxing. It's my day off. I just want to have a good time with you. And I said, okay. And I stayed. And it eventually got to the point where, you know, he physically held me down against the bed. And... I was lucky enough that I pushed him off of me and I left immediately after that. I wish I had had the knowledge at the time that there are certain situations that you remove yourself from automatically. There's certain people that you need to exercise caution around when you notice signs that can lead to you being put in a difficult situation. But the silver lining and all that has been that it's helped to inform what I'm looking for in someone and what I will and will not, you know, accept in as part of a relationship with that other individual. There was actually one instance where I was seeing a woman and she broke up with me and it, I was like, okay, well, I, I was in her apart. I was in her apartment and I, I started to leave. And then she became quite sexually aggressive with me after, uh, and I was a little confused <laughs> as to where this was going. If the situations were reversed, this would have been an attempted date rape situation. The difference was 
I was able to throw her off me with a wave of my hand because she was just smaller than me and didn't pose a physical threat. I also, even now, am able to realize I never felt endangered. I felt I felt very nervous. I felt very uh, unsure of myself. I didn't like what was happening and I just, I just wanted to leave. The difference is I knew I could leave. And this is coming from a conversation actually I had with my mother, which is kind of a weird thing to say. This is quite a while ago, but it's something that stuck with me. My mother, before she was, um, before she was, came out of the closet, she uh, was married three times and her first husband was quite abusive. And um, we were talking about that relationship and that's where she brought it up. She said, you know, like consent is, is the same for relationships. And this is like a conversation about consent before, like, I feel like people were really talking about consent, which I really value because it put in perspective. And it's like, ultimately speaking, she's like, you know, if one person is not interested, then that's no, mm-hmm. like, that's just not it. Not all of these conversations was as open and accepting as these ones, especially when we talked about shitty behavior, toxic masculinity, all of those sticky subjects that made men feel a little bit attacked. And you know what? Maybe it's also just my delivery and how I was expressing myself and how I was asking these questions. And this is all a growth. You know, this is all a work in progress. But I wanted to know what are those legacy thoughts behind that type of behavior? Are we just stuck in our ways? Although I got a bunch of different answers from all these men, I realized it was always taken from personal experience. I don't know if it's just me or maybe how women speak, but I tend to overgeneralize, put everyone in the same bucket. But this time I challenged the idea of not all men. And it looks like it's not so much about following the status quo, but maintaining it leaving things the way they are, because change is more difficult than fitting in. I think some guys, I could be wrong, but from my experience, they don't like being told what to do. If a guy has been having sex so many times with different women, he's so used to his like way of doing things. And then one one woman comes around and says, no, I want it done this way. Very demanding. Well, not demanding, but just like, they just know what they want. Yeah. Right. And I like that because... As a guy, then that gives me more comfortability to say what I like too, right? So it's like if they're very like um, forward, mm-hmm. some guys don't like that because they're like, dude, I've been doing it for like twenty. It's like you're doing a job for twenty years, right? And then you're just some some young some new manager comes in and tells you like, oh, yeah, do it this way. I'm going, right. like, I've been here for twenty years. The only reason why I'm like this is because I've learned over the years about all the trash things I've said. And I've just kind of built up on that. But when I say trash things I've said, it's because I'm ignorant. And sometimes some guys aren't like, you know, some guys are not trash people. They just say things because in their head, they're like, hey, I grew up my whole life saying this. No one's ever stopped me before. And now that I'm getting out of my like suburban bubble and coming to the city, you know what I mean? However, in a club setting, in a bar setting, we take more of the girl side. Automatically. Yeah. Because it's easier to take a girl's side than it is a guy's side. If they're if they're accused and it's real and they stay, mm-hmm. the women around them are gonna get it together. You know, you know, women stay together, as as many do. Mm-hmm. They're gonna gang up and they're like that, and they're gonna leave. When that happens, women tend to bring a lot of money into clubs and bars. They leave, they're screwed. 
to is even to cook on a guy, even if even if it's possibly you and a woman. My problem is, I remember an ex-girlfriend of mine was like, "Are you trying to mansplain?" I didn't even know what the fuck mansplaining meant. It's my opinion that I'm giving you. If you don't like it, disagree with me. Let's have a conversation. I'm not trying to teach you anything. You've asked me a question and we're having a conversation. Here's what I think. I might be wrong. I might be right. But let's have a fucking conversation. This is not a factual thing. This has just been my opinion on it. It's like, oh, no. Like, are you mansplaining? I'm like, no. Argue with me if you don't believe this to be true. Like, stop pushing your past on to me. I'm not that. Interesting. Don't put that on me. I'm just telling you something based on my experience. If you don't like it, cool. Let's talk about it. Tell me why you think I'm wrong. And we can move from there. They don't want the guilt. They don't want to experience guilt. Because while a lot of them may be decent folk, a lot of decent good people, when cowardice and guilt come into play, they can change because they want to defend themselves. And so therefore they will start defending actions that are pretty bad. And then they'll start defending other people who have done equally bad things just to make them not hypocrites. And then you get into a mob mentality. Okay, so sometimes we got a little bit political. We were talking about feminism. We were talking about movements. We were talking about the roles that people think that they should be playing to appease people. And there's a lot of people pleasing going on. There's a lot of fear and guilt and all of these very negative feelings. But how does this connect to our intimate relationships with people, let's say in a romantic scene? And how much of our self-worth goes into that approval of that other person? And how much of it does it actually say about ourselves and how we behave around them? I was always fearful of being alone. So I'd always kind of jump into a relationship and it became like from one to the next, to the next, to the next, never really healing from the last one. So you're always taking your pain and securities into the next one and it becomes compounded to the point where you're almost, you know, you're damn near adult and you haven't settled down and you're kind of like, where do I fit in this? Do, do I not end up marrying, not having children? Like, so that's sort of where I am right now. It definitely has to do with like, I think like dating overall has to do with how a person would view love to a degree where like, do you fall in love immediately? Is it over time? Do you believe that this person you'll grow to love? So like you're building from essentially what little there is, like just mutual attraction and interest. And then you go from there. You know what I do here? Am I saying yes forever? Because I'm the type of guy that does believe in forever. And that's the difference because some guys are like, oh, this is good for now. So yeah, I'm all in. I love you. And they're like, yeah, I'm about to get that. And that's their key to getting in. And it's like kind of shame that that's all it was a couple words to get in to get in there and get get on her good side but it was a lie you know and I I don't believe in that because everything you say can or will be held against you and it doesn't have to be a court it doesn't be law it's her 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 heart law we do our best to you know neither one of us is going to take one for the team if that makes any sense you know like and we saw that happening at clubs where couples would go into a club and one would be attracted to somebody and another couple, but that other half didn't make the connection. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us was into that. I, we, we felt like sex should be enjoyed. And we felt like that was a part of our relationship that we were sharing with one another. And if 
one of us had to do something we really didn't want to, then it was taking away the mutual pleasure for both of us. That judgment has more or less just been like, oh, you're one of those uh, types of couples. Like you're not in the open relationship type of people. And, and it's not that, it's like, we're totally open to, you know, talking about who we've been with, what we like sexually, what we don't like sexually, you know, I think it's a healthy thing to be able to talk about those things with your partner. But if you're just kind of like hiding those truths, that honesty, you're going to get nowhere. Okay. Real talk. You know, I just, I don't even know how to explain how refreshing it is to hear these men speak so vulnerably to me. I just, I didn't even know how to react sometimes. It, it really threw me off and I think I, I actually did get my answers after all. It wasn't really about validating my feelings anymore. It was more just like, we all have these fears and we all reconsider our self-worth on the regular. And I think we all need to find that self-love in ourselves and see that we're giving that power away to the wrong people, that we are not taking responsibility for what we really want. The The, the harm comes when you project this false sense of yourself and the relationship goes like two three years and you're just messing up and you're expecting her to just like scale back because you're so slow and like you can't catch up like nah dude like do yourselves a favor do yourself a favor first as a guy step back be like no and let her be great let yeah. her flow and grow bro like <laughs> you're not you're not the one and that's fine there's no knock to your ego if mm -hmm. that's the type of person that you want to attract then go be that person for yourself first. I have been in a situation where I have been with somebody who I clearly think is doing better than me and is on their way to like a path to success and I'm being like a debaucherous person. Like you did you did kinda of, you kinda of just feel like a bag of dicks for like constantly dragging them down. Like it's fucked up. And so like you, you get into this weird headspace where it's like, do I do I walk away? to save this person from further drama you think to yourself like well no like why am i putting myself down like that why can't i fix myself to 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 be the person who she thought i was mm -hmm. to in order to be with me like she, she clearly sees something here why can't i see it? it it happened like that for me and i and i uh i, re I regret it but it was a lesson and I'm, it's a lesson well-deserved for a person that I shouldn't have hurt. For a person who believed in me when I should have believed in myself. And yeah, it hurts, but you need to learn those lessons. It's also terrifying, to be honest. I mean, we, we've both talked about this, especially early on in our relationship, being that open and honest with someone is makes you incredibly vulnerable yeah. um, and you have to build and develop trust over time to make that successful but but I, I stick with it it can be very terrifying knowing that you're that open to somebody in these first 25 episodes we have real conversations with real people in real situations not every mass man on the show is my friend I tried so hard to find allies, but that's not real life. 
I've interviewed people I've known for years, people I've never spoken to until this episode. It made me wonder how much do we try to be friends with other people first, gain their approval, validate that we are worthy of this person's attention, rather than just seeking to find information for answers, for the truth. Sometimes I can't even listen to another famous podcast sponsored by another famous person interviewing another famous person in shameless self-promotion with the smallest attempt to relate to regular people. I hope this raw, informative, expressive, and emotional series touches you as much as it has touched me to host it. And that's a wrap. Let me know which episodes resonated with you the most, which ones you like the least. And if you're interested in being interviewed, go to 100massmen.com and fill out the questionnaire. That's 100-100-mastmen.com. Make sure to subscribe and I'll see you next Wednesday with some more episodes of the 100 Masked Men series. We're opening up with season two next week. Amanda out.